Is this like a keyboard cat? What do you mean? Will like, she is she gonna on jump it? on? Is she gonna jump on the keyboard and yep. delete everything? Yeah, the cat only speaks French because Natasha only taught it French. Is that true? Yeah, but can cats really? Can you get a little bit, a little bit closer? No, cats can't really. But no, I mean, like, me not to certain languages, but they're not like dogs where you can like say a command. Um, these cats understand. Um, go take a shit right now. Really? Don't the bois. Don't the bois. So like go in the box. When cuz he's like gets this evil glare in his eye, the other one. I thought cats were just didn't give a shit and didn't even need to learn like languages. They just did their own I thing. I thought so too. And they until, tolerated you. Look, I said don't the bois. Look. No. <laughs> no way. <laughs> but why does it feel like that? Why does the cat feel like it has to like please you? Cuz then it gets food. Because like, one of them we reward after it because it doesn't like shit in the box sometimes, and so some occasionally it'll get food if it does it. So uh, you just got yeah. back, yeah. Where are you from? Columbus, Ohio. And I was there visiting my family and my nephews. You know, I thought you were Canadian for a while because of McGill. Everybody thinks I'm Canadian. Really? Even when because I'm surrounded of... by Canadians, I get picked out as the Canadian in the bunch. Columbia now is just there are a lot of Canadians there right now. Why is that? There are still new McGill people coming in. There were there were two this year. I guess all the teachers there have been from Ericam and all that. But still, I don't think it's that. I really think it's because they, at Columbia, they don't mess around with like the basics of learning. Of, you don't do theory classes and traditional like theory classes learning kind of ways. You don't do a, a lot of that basic early or even master's level kind of boring music stuff. And what, so they and they when know you say, McGill when you people say, do when you say boring music stuff, you mean theory classes. Oh, okay, like and really, intro to computer, really intro classes. computer music kinds of things. Oh, okay, and writing like early writing papers, good good research papers about music and stuff like that. And they make they you expect, do that. They like want people to have that already, and they know that they do that. They hammer that in at McGill. It's that kind of school. That's really traditional and wants you to have like this strong traditional skill set before you go off and write your wacky music or something like that, you know? Do people coming out of McGill have like, do they have a certain type of profile? Are they, you know what I mean? Is there a certain type like of. Like a sound, funneling? you mean? Yeah, or like, for a, the... like a McGill sound, for lack of a better term. Yeah, yeah, there tends to be a McGill sound. So what's I the McGill sound? I think it tends to be, and it has to do with the, the teachers that are there. It tends to have. I think of it as more along the traditional lines of contemporary music and more probably it has, has some French influence. So what I think characterizes it is a lot of pitches and meaningful pitches. A lot of times music coming out of there is kind of writ, written around pitches. I mean, like like this pitch really means something. Like, you, is that, you had, oh, I have to stop you there. It's like lots of pitches but meaningful pitches. <laughs> what, is, what does that mean? Because uh, it's always going to be a lot of... Or not always, what, but very what, what, often. What composer would say non-meaningful pitches? <laughs> I think there is music when, um, where pitches are kind of more gestural. It's not like because that was a D sharp right in the middle of that run that that is like important at all. It was more like a, a gestural or like a... This is supposed to be just like a visceral expression. Like, 
like this kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. It has a lot of pitches in it, but it's... And it just happens to yeah, have a D-sharp in I just, there. And who I just gives made, a like, this gesture on this yeah. microphone, like, people are going to know what I just did. Well, you know, it's there's a lot of... Uh, what, what did you do? You you moved your hand quickly back and forth. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming it was a viola. But not not in a dirty way. Not in a dirty way. Yeah, yeah. It was it was uh, horizontal, not vertical. <laughs> yeah. Did you like McGill? Did you did that for your masters or your undergraduate? What brought for you? My, what brought you to? Yeah, that was Canada? my masters. After I was in Cleveland for years, like I did an undergraduate in at Cleveland State. By years, you mean and four? Yeah. Well, it was four. I think. I think it was four. I started a couple years before at Ohio State and that didn't work out and so I transferred and then I ended up being kind of like four years but some things transferred you know it was like transfer credits so I can't say if it was really like four full years or something like that okay. but I was in Cleveland for pretty much four years at Cleveland State what was wrong with Ohio State well I started off doing agriculture and being a to be like a farmer like an organic farmer no way <laughs> yeah okay your beard makes sense now all of a sudden <laughs> yeah yeah, I wanted to be an organic farmer, and then I thought that music would be fun to do because then I could also be better at playing music while I'm on my farm <laughs> and entertain insane. myself more. What was your vision of yourself going into undergraduate at Ohio State? My the complete package, the complete vision. You're of like myself? this is this is what I want to do. This is what my this is what I want my life to be. I want to grow stuff on a farm. Like why? No, but yeah, but I was into the like. Um, in the hippie side of it, like organic and renewable resources. So it was composting is really what I was, it was my area of, actually it was called plant health management was the degree that I was in. At Ohio State University. Yeah. And I got a, a $1,000 scholarship off of my um, tuition to do that also, which was amazing to me. So I, I took that and I was like, oh, great. I got $1,000, but then I had to keep my grades above a, a C or something, which didn't happen. So I lost the scholarship anyway. And then I thought, well, fuck it. I'm just going to, I like, I was trying to do some bands on the side anyway, like rock bands. So this was like a blurry gray period for you where like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not sure what I want to do. It's still a blurry gray period. Yeah, it's all a blurry gray period. Yeah, but, uh, um, yeah, no, you know it I mean. was out of high school and yeah, it was pretty much, I thought I should go to college. I thought that was a good idea. It wasn't like, and my friends were going to college, so it didn't really matter actually what the degree was in. Was what was the common was the thing that I heard a lot. It doesn't matter what your degree is in, as long as you have an undergraduate degree, then you can go on and like then really decide what you want to do. Maybe in a master's or later on in your undergraduate degree, even you can settle in on a different major or something okay, like that. Yeah, just get going in school. That way, you're not you know I didn't have anything else to do anyway, so. What do your parents do? Your parents weren't like see. I hear stories like yours, where it's like it sounds like you were left like left up to your own decisions, and then mine was almost a little bit like very kind of. I showed an interest in something, and then my parents were like super active parents to like to like be like, oh okay, he likes composing. Let's get him composition lessons, and you know, let's bring him into the city and go to concerts, and then they basically helped me do all this research. And by help me, I mean they basically like did the re like, did check out this you. school, check out this school. You know, they were talking to people, consulting with people, a very like active type of thing where like everything was almost in a way that I'm not even sure if it was good or not. Now that mm-hmm. I think about it, was like set up for me, so. It sounds like you were just kind of like floating on your own and kind of like taking yeah, things they, here and there. Yeah, they wanted me to make all my own decisions, all my own mistakes, I guess, with the whole like life path thing. They weren't even 
interested in me really going to college necessarily. They were like, they thought I should either have a job or go to college. So, and I did get a job. I had a what job. Other right options, what other options are there? Yeah. I guess live at home and watch TV. Yeah. And yeah. do neither. Yeah. Yeah. So I, but I did have a job, a full-time job. Even I got one right out of high school. So I was doing like a full-time job and going to college at Kinko's. I was working at Kinko's. Ugh. Yeah. And so, but they were... You're that guy? You're the guy who I hate at Kinko's? No. No, no, no. I'm the one you loved. I just, no, it's I was the one to that somebody can goes. I was the one that everybody hated, so that they so they took me off of the counter and had me run the machines in the back, and I did that for I did that for four years, I think, or something like that. Holy just shit, full time while going to school, running the copy machines in the back room. Wow, you're the night shift. Never, that was a horrible idea. Do you think the Probably. job is what fucked up your grades? No, no, I just didn't have. I never knew that you're supposed to like take books home and study you know in high school i could easily skate by and get b's and that was fine but um in college you actually had to sometimes read to, or prepare for tests and stuff like that and my grades weren't horrible but i got a couple bad grades and so that took me down from the b i had to have a b average and then and you I got slipped yeah. to like something just under b or b minus or something yeah. and then they slipped and they're like no we need to we need our organic composters <laughs> to have the utmost <laughs> grade point average or whatever calculus thing you had to take then failed so <laughs> man do you have do you have hippie <laughs> parents um, these sound like hippie parents no no not at all they're quite conservative pretty republican kind of well they're they're independent they're independent but they they tend more towards the conservative point of view on a lot of things but uh my mom didn't go to college and my dad he did a, a small training program after he came out of the army and, and um so he's a pilot but it, so he didn't have to have a he didn't do a four like a normal college degree or anything like that wow so they didn't have that experience and you know they made a good life for themselves and raised three kids so so they didn't think necessarily that you have to do you know go to college or anything like that to do it do what you want to end up doing you know i i I don't understand you at all by the way (laughs) i'm trying to get my head around you i think so far you're the most difficult you're throwing you're throwing all these contradictory things at me like uh you know conservative parents you know but, made a but life for totally yourself liberal like ideas or yeah, something yeah, like yeah just but i wanted to do organic, organic farming <laughs> and oh my god what did they so what do they think about what you do now well they they're totally happy that i'm doing something i like to do that's pretty much it but you mean like what do they think about the stuff that I'm making and how yeah. do they relate to that? Yeah, or like, hey, mom, check out this piece I wrote for. Um, Can anybody uh, do that though? I don't. I. It, it's difficult for people to understand. Even people of my own age like to play it, and it's difficult for some people to like get a grasp to it. And people react in different ways. So, from what I understand of talking to other people, other composers who play stuff for their parents, it seems pretty similar. They're kind of confused, and they kind of entertain it, and. um Actually, my parents are more vocal about um, uh, laughing about it, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> In like, what way? They're are like, you, oh, serious? you suck. Well, yeah. every time. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Yeah, but they just put me in the whole lump. Compost of, would have sounded of, better. <laughs> <laughs> Why couldn't you be a good organic farmer like yeah. you're no one else that I know? But, <laughs> someone, um, but they come, sometimes tease me a little bit about like, come on. 
You think that's music? Are you serious? Like, that's just a bunch of noise. But then they'll be like, oh, I can hear how that... Like, we were listening to some... They, they put it on to entertain me sometimes. They have this uh, uh, satellite radio, and there's these experimental stations. There's a San Francisco-based thing that just it just plays contemporary music all the time. Tape yeah. music, and computer music, and, and acoustic music. Is it cool stuff? Is it stuff that we've I, heard of, or is it yeah, like yeah, there, out of nowhere? I mean, it, it ranges. There was John Zorn on there, and then there's this uh, Marc Ange, which is, was a composer at Ohio State, was on there, and then there was um, some lesser-known people. Uh, there's a composer at Oberlin who I didn't know about before listening to this, uh, who was a student of Fernie Ho, Tim Perkis, I think is his name. Sorry. I have no clue. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I didn't know before, but I heard some stuff, and it sounded pretty good, actually. I was into some some things that I heard, and then there was a lot of, you know, not good stuff. But uh, and then I'm like, oh, well, this sounds, this kind of reminds me of what your stuff sounds like, because it has, like, dense parts and then not dense parts, and then... Yeah, so they've heard it enough that they can, are kind of teasing things out of it that seem comprehensible to them. But it's still super. Their ears are super archaic. Then they're like, "Oh, it, there's a lot of stuff, and then not so much stuff, and then a lot of stuff again." And that's how they understand it. <laughs> that's kind of how I understand a lot of music too. That's, I don't yeah, know that, that's, yeah, yeah, that's that's actually true for me. I kind of go with I kind of go with that surface level. Just like, is it loud now or not? <laughs> Is that that, mean, how you, that means it, I like it or not. If it's yeah. loud, then I like it. If it's not, I don't. No, I'm just kidding. But is that is that how you uh, organize your stuff now? Is that yeah, is that how you're of. thinking now when you're putting something together? Are you thinking about density? and are you, yeah. are, are you thinking about these super archaic things where it's almost like your parents could understand in the level to the point where they were like, oh, it's dense, and now it's not so dense. And you're like, actually, that was the thought I had before I yeah. wrote something dense and uh, not so dense. I always want that to be super clear. Yeah, like for... For people who are just listening to it can get a lot, you know, can understand, like, is it dense now? Is it not dense now? Is it going this way? And a lot of clear tra- trajectories or, like, super clear uh, juxtapositions. So, like, splight jump cutting between sections. Everybody hears that all the time, right? It's bad. Then everybody knows it's, like, a crazy thing followed by a sustained thing. That seems to be, like, thing. the new... Is that I, the I, new way? I, well, I, I mean, well, I don't know. Maybe I started doing it too, so I'm not like I'm not judging it. I think it's great, but uh, really fast jump cuts between uh, really differentiated like orchestrational worlds is, I think, something that a lot of people are going for. I think why this is my theory of why it might be a newer way that people are trying to do it more now it has to do with like uh, recordings that people are making. Maybe I mean those have been around for a while, but. But I feel like people are trying to make their music more and more like recordings where you can just, where you can easily cut and splice. Not all the time, but certain, a characteristic that's seeping into more contemporary music is more recorderly, recording aesthetic, close mic sound. I would, I, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, that's what I'm thinking of when I put something together. Yeah. yeah. How do you approach that? Because I'm not very good at it yet. Like, you know, like it's it's isn't it definitely like a really difficult orchestrational problem to do that with acoustic music because just the idea of like resonances bleed into one another yep, so fast yeah. that when you're how do you stop when the sound totally yeah, how, how do you stop the sound so my thing is like just have lots of muting especially during performance I might not even notate it in the score but I'm like mute it when you're done because like a percussion carrying over like, yeah. Or even a string where it might it might be ah, it might be oh, like an good. open string per se, but okay, so that's going to bleed over for the next 
half a second, which is a big deal if it's really short. So I say as soon as you're done with it, you know, like put your palm down on it and mute it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But how do you approach that? Because I'm not like so good at that yet. No, that's a better idea than any ideas I have. I just try to, at those moments where I do want the change to happen, to uh, yeah, only use things that are possible to stop. Some things, it's hard, like the low note on a piano, unless they're able to get up and stop it physically. Yeah. If, or if you hit a low cluster, you can't just go, it's going to be, and it carries over. It's never going to stop, so I just stop using those sounds at that those moments. Or... I always I always write with electronics, so or I just know that that's going to happen, so I only have that sound, that low sound in the electronics where I can physically cut it off. So it's a lot of tricking of like using those sounds that do actually cut off in a recorder, like a recording kind of way in the electronics. And sometimes if I have enough of those, that's enough to make like a dramatic change. And even though some of the instruments are physically ringing over, it doesn't matter as much if it's a pronounced articulation that happens in the electronic part you're always working with electronics now yeah have you always worked with electronics uh i've always worked with them i don't know if i've i started pretty much or my most comfortable stuff when i started was kind of tape music um so just electronics but now i i always work with both instruments and electronics i haven't written a tape piece in a long time i like four years ago i tried a piece without electronics how did it go it was horrible i hated it so did everybody Ever since else then, hate it? I've been afraid. Uh, I don't really know. I didn't really play it for anybody. I just kind of shelved it, and I might go back to it and find something. But it really. But there were people there. There were people there. No, it, it went all right. It went all right. I guess I've had worse receptions, you know. So, what did people hate about it? What did I hate about it? Nobody oh, sorry, vo- sorry. Nobody yeah, else you hate voiced it? that they hated it. I wish people um, would say that though. Sometimes, like down the road, I'm I'm thankful nobody says that at premieres. I'm a fan of the polite clap, and then later you go and get a drink and ease into criticisms. I feel I'm too fragile at premieres and stuff like that. I, you want people to just be like, Jesus, Stan, why, why? <laughs> I think I'm at a point where I would prefer that than at, the, like right away at then the premiere. I would if yeah, I would prefer that. And I've had that done to me to people before. Done um, to you, to people? I mean, not not to the point. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, people have done that to me before. And, it, okay, so it is always someone I know. And it's never like, oh, Jesus, you stink and you have no worth. You know, it never goes that deep. But they'll be able to, like, get it on a certain level or to get their initial reaction. And I, I always appreciate that more than – it's almost more of an insult to me. If people are like congr- like the congratulations handshake. When you know um, they didn't like yeah, it. Yeah, when they didn't like it. And it's almost like not only did I hate it, but I think you're so weak as a human being <laughs> that I have to lie to you. And then like later on or something like it's like for me, it's like it's almost like insulting, you know. Yeah, okay, well, maybe that's the difference. I think I am that weak as a human being at, at that moment, at least. Like, You mean like right after? Yeah, yeah. It's a little too emotional for me right then. I'm happy to have to talk about mu- all those ideas about music later. But I don't know if I want it right away, like how horrible it is. Because I have my own ideas about it that I feel like I want to chew over first. Okay, yeah, so I what, did you, not, what did you not like about this uh, piece for acoustic instruments? Always the thing I get frustrated in writing for acoustic, just acoustic instruments, 
is that I can never go there, which is a place, like, can never go to the place I really want to go, which is, like, more and more and more sometimes. I can get In it. what sense, in what parameter? Where's the more? Uh, it could be, yeah, in, like, most parameters. Uh, it can be volume. It can be in um, density. And it can be in kind of a dirtiness. For me, dirtiness is like on a it's like a scale that I want to go to more sometimes, uh, and um, you know, a dramatic juxtaposition. So all those things I feel like I can do more of with help from electronic sounds. Do you feel like in some ways, isn't there always like this threshold where at some point it's becoming crutchy? Does that is that a word? That's not a word, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like a little bit like a, may, may, maybe you can do more with acoustic instruments, but you will, you never know because you're always, you're like, oh, okay, you know, this won't work with these restrictions. I'll just add some electronics and that'll be my more. Yeah. I mean, for me, that's kind of the, I don't care how I get there, but maybe I could if I had to, if, if all of a sudden there was no more, couldn't use electronics for some reason or something, then, then I would try and push that more. But for now, I don't have a reason to explore other possibilities for getting the the more that I want out of the acoustic instruments. That's one way that I could push stuff, but it doesn't. It could be a crutch and seen as a crutch in one way, but it's a kind of a crutch that I'm I'm happy to have. That's basically the gist of it. I think is that it's, why not use the I mean, crutches are kind of cool. I kind of like crutches, but but the using electronics is is has the added advantage of being a crutch that you can kind of sh- shape in different ways. It's a crutch that is also leads you down totally different paths that you wouldn't have before. You know? Can you give me an example of that? Um, I was going to give you a, a horrible metaphor that probably is totally useless. So give I, me, I don't I, need that. I, no, Since give we're me using this metaphor. word crutch, right, when you when we say crutch, don't we really mean like yeah, like physically like crutches? Like well, that means that you're un- like, yeah, on, well the- that you're lame in some way or. You know, the the implication is that you don't have an ability to do something that you should have an ability to do in order to function. Yeah. but the, And that so in, the, in order to do that, you need a supplement outside of yourself to help you achieve that goal. So the metaphor then would be that if you uh, could walk on both legs and you always just uh, went down this dirt path uh, or a hill to get to where you were going, and then if you had to all of a sudden... Uh, work with crutches or you chose to to just use crutches and not use one of your feet for some reason then you have to figure out a different way to get down that thing i don't know if this metaphor is so useful in what we're talking about you, know, but, you also have maybe me, your arms would be a little bit stronger which would be your yeah. knowledge in electronic music and for me that that medium a large part of why i do it is because i always work with these mock-ups of pretty much exactly what the piece is going to be at the end, like the as precise a sound of what's going to happen with the combination of electronic instruments and acoustic instruments together. And that process, for me, is just the funnest part of doing anything, and I always want to keep... Not always, but for now, that's my funnest way to write music, so I want to keep doing that. And that, in the end, when I'm sitting there working with a mock-up, I have at my disposal acoustic sounds and electronic sounds. And I want to use them all the time in the mock-up process, which means I want to use them in the end, in the composition process. What is this mock-up process like? It's just a a logic session. And in that environment, you can just bring in all these sounds. You can start, like I do, with the sounds that I have available on the acoustic instrument and have those as a palette ready to go. But then you can also bring in all sorts of other sounds that just occur to you, which may not be possible with the palette of instruments that you have. 
and that's the way I like to work. And that's, I spend, you know, the performance is just a brief moment of time, right? Mostly I spend my days, you know, trying to make what they're going to do at a performance. So I just want, I have to have that to be uh, as fun as possible or I'll just stop doing it. So literally it's not, you know, you're not sitting down and imagining a world. You're seeing what you can get out of playing with these toys. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like I, yeah, I would start writing a piece just if it's a guitar piece, write it with the guitar in my hand and start seeing what sounds like it come out of it. But I don't have access to every instrument I want to play and I don't play every instrument to a high enough standard sometimes. So I use this sort of DAW as my way of getting my hands on the instruments, I guess. And write, really trying to write, have every part of the compositional process be like like my hands on the instruments, if the, if not physically. How good are you at getting the DAW version to align with the actual reality of the performance? The idea would be that if I imagine something in my head, I have string sounds in my head, I have this certain technique in my head, I have this certain feel for a piece in my head, and I go straight from that to maybe a little bit at the piano to voicing things, that to paper, then of course there's going to be a margin of what I thought was going to happen versus what is actually going to happen Mm -hmm. um, because there's just the amount of information and feedback I'm getting between my brain to the piano to the paper is not going to be as accurate as if I'm working presumably with a DAW. How close are you to actually reducing that margin working with logic and to the actual performance. Yeah. Are you ever shocked? Like, oh shit, it wasn't supposed to sound like that. A little bit, but really little compared to experiences in the past that I've had. I haven't always written in this way and written with, I guess I've been doing this this way for like five years now, six years now, pretty much every piece just like that. But in the past, I did have a big, I had a much bigger discrepancy between what I thought it was going to sound like and what it ended up sounding like Sometimes it varies a little bit on the piece, but very often exactly like I thought it was going to sound, like exactly how it sounded in in my headphones when I was listening to it. If it ends up performed in the way that I think it will be, which which includes like the microphones are there and they're playing back, and sometimes the pieces are just click track, so it has literally the sounds that I was working with playing back at the same time, and the performers are just playing some of the parts in those cases it sounds exactly like i thought it was going to sound does this give you a certain strictness with performers now now you're like hey you don't sound like the program yeah and and you can be like sound more like the program and that could be anything from i don't know some subjective thing that they're technically doing fine but they have to adjust it a little bit to make it a little bit better for what you want it to be or literally to the point where you can point out a wrong rhythm or actually be like, actually, you're not doing it soltasto, and that's why you're not getting... Yeah, all those yeah. things. All those things, like, I, I can just, yeah, listen to it without hit, listen, watching the score playback and be like, eh, that's not... It. Or I just notated it poorly in the score, what I thought was a good transcription from the tape part, and it was a poor transcription, and I said, well, yeah, you're playing what I told you to write, but that's not what I really wanted to hear, because I've heard the real sound I wanted to hear played back hundreds of times when I was working on it. I mean, in a certain way, you're taking away a player's interpretation, you know, freedom yeah. when you're doing that. Yeah. Are they cool with that? Are they fine with that? Are do they cool get, with that? Yeah. Do, do, do you ever get blowback from that? No, I haven't got blowback from it. They're, more often, they're glad that I have a clear idea of what it, I want it to sound like, yeah. <laughs> okay. I think. 
Like but I'm a little disappointed with it. Yeah. I actually have become a little disappointed with it. And, you know, I try to change, I'm trying to change the way I work sometimes to allow more interpretation in some parts. Because it is cool sometimes when you write something and it sounds better than you think it would, or something happens that you didn't know was going to happen. So I kind of miss that about it, that it sounds, that it sounds too much like I thought it was going to. Sometimes that sucks. It doesn't have that magical extra layer on top of it. It's really just what I wanted. Yeah. And not to mention like part of the joy of like you being surprised yeah, with something that you didn't expect. What about experimentation on the level of you writing down something on the piece of paper and almost in an unprofessional way, not knowing what the results are going to be? Like, I wonder what this is going to sound like. I guess we'll wait till it hits reality. You've kind of re- also reduced that. Yeah, it's totally gone. Yeah, yeah, it's totally gone. But that's a certain level and, of excitement. And also, I think a lot of people are attracted to, I don't know, something like what we do because of that. Yeah, I'm totally uncomfortable with that and totally un- uncomfortable with... I'm trying to do some guitar stuff now and totally uncomfortable with myself even improvising. Uh, I, I Even for myself, I want to have it all planned out, like every instant planned out beforehand. I don't think that's a... I'm not... I don't think that's a good thing for me. It's something I'm trying to find my way into sometimes. Okay. But the way I do work with that, the way I do like to work with that is to have that sort of idea and then have a performer come in and play it for me and record it. And then I can work with it. I I don't like presenting it to somebody else as a thing that I don't know how it's going to sound like. For me, I just can't. It's not comfortable for me. Do you want something to drink? No, this coffee is really good, though. I got to say, yeah. yeah. People give me watery coffee. It's weird that I demand coffee you throw every it time. In their face. Yeah, I throw, it, I throw it in their face. Every interview with ends with me scalding somebody. <laughs> as long as there's a theme. Yeah, like word word gets around. Don't do an interview with Dan. He's uh, <laughs> but everybody um, who tells you that has like half of their faces melted yeah, off. Yeah, like so. it's like two face. Oh man! All of a sudden, all these. Composers with burnt faces are like walking around town. Like Dan's back. <laughs> it's bad. Don't talk to him. <laughs> so let's talk about. I don't know how to pronounce the name. Like uh, TSTs. Uh yeah. Uh yeah. I think I say, which is just like the sound of a hi hat. Which just that onomatopoeic, poetic. I think kind of sound. Yeah. Or kind of name of the piece. It's just. It's a silly thing to say and to try to say. And um, and the piece is kind of silly. What makes it silly? Because there are, especially comes some kind of horn part that you just are supposed to play faster than you could ever play horn, and you just do it, and then you do the same thing again, and it goes... <laughs> that, to me, is a little silly. It's silly in its simplicity, too, sometimes, where it's just like, loud thing, not a loud thing. Some of a lot of the sounds sound like pinball games sometimes. Yeah, that I noticed. Like I mean, not pinball, but like gamey. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of a for me a a, like a you could say silly, silly, which to me has some sort of juvenile um, edge to it, and it's kind of an impulsive kind of piece. I don't know. For me, it's it's a little silly or just ridiculous in a in a way. I think it's a little ridiculous, which is what if I'm working right, I really want stuff to be pretty ridiculous if possible because sometimes the whole venture every once in a while is just really ridiculous you know but it's uh, you think it's important to comment on that within the piece i end up trying to do that 
I don't know if it's important or not, but for me, it's it's also just another way for me to have fun while I'm writing. Also, like really trying to find the the thing that doesn't go with the rest of this occasionally, and just throwing it in there um, as an absurd kind of uh, gesture. Is that how you put stuff together? Is there any type of initial conception and formal idea that you're going for or well there do, hasn't do you been just start like fucking around piece. and then you're like hey wait this will be ridiculous and i feel like being ridiculous yeah yeah um in that piece there's no like there wasn't in the originally any formal construction or formal idea but that piece and some others around it all started with and still do i think just trying to come up with like kind of as many characters as i could that work with the forces that i have the instruments <laughs> forces is a little dramatic i take that back <laughs> and it ends up being like in that piece i think and in a lot of pieces i kind of max out around 20 dramatically different things that's a lot those things that's that, a lot for an, also an audience member to keep track of yeah it's usually too much it's usually too much and some of them don't make it into the piece but then i kind of want as many as i possibly can in a piece uh another piece i wrote about called like, and and then and then m8 that was written the, the year after that the the piece that you're talking about that piece had even more kinds of things in it and it went more places and it was really bordering on too much i th- i felt at that time anyway but i really want to work on that too much edge a lot so i try to come up with as many things as i can and if now it's more that process is being more formalized that i i have like three main areas that I kind of want to get to in a piece in every piece, I think. And I come up with as many as I can in each of those categories. And then I could that, that already putting it in categories helps me with rearranging how those things could come.
do these materials have to relate to one another in a certain way? Well, no, they don't have to in some pieces. It's funny because you were talking about like what McGill is like. And it's mm. almost like the opposite of what you're talking about, what your music is like, <laughs> where you were like, like where the notes mean something, they're important. And that D sharp has to be that D sharp and it can't be just this thing as a whim. And then you're describing your stuff and you're like, oh, they don't necessarily need to be related. I try and put in as many things as possible, <laughs> many variations as possible. And I did that because I thought it would be ridiculous and I wanted to be ridiculous. So what is up with that uh, contradiction? Not to mention you're also in a very kind of prestigious academic institution where I assume that things get talked about in a certain lofty way. Is there any friction between? Yeah, well, I don't know. That seems to be pretty lofty these days, actually, in some ways. Like, trying to be ridiculous is is something to talk about in a school, you know? Yeah, but... Like, why the hell... But once you start talking about it in an academic setting, it has to be broken down into a certain way and has to be talked about and analyzed in in ways that you can, like, almost concretely hold them in your hand yeah so how do you do that well you well then it's like how do you be ridiculous and then you come up with a whole list of ways of how to be ridiculous and then all of a sudden we're lofty again and it's no problem so how do you be ridiculous (laughs) for me it's ridiculous is knowing what's going on there and finding the juxtaposition to that and how how do you find a juxtaposition and i have a, a way of thinking about sounds that are possible i have like a kind of not formalized but a list of categories that seem to be distantly related and for me if i could go very distantly related to the sound that was before then that could be ridiculous in some some situation but there's got to be a certain way where you are able to qualify like this is why it's a juxtaposition yeah i'm making i'm pulling something out of my ass here but then you pull out a chart and say this spectrum is the opposite of this spectrum, or this pitch class is the opposite of this pitch class, or this kind of association is the opposite of this association. And that's the biggest juxtaposition, and that's why it's ridiculous. Yeah. Do you like doing that? Because because it comes from a feeling, right? No. It, this It came from an impulse. This, I mean, some of these types of things I, I hate doing, but this thing I love doing because it's really the way that I'm thinking about it. And I really want to... By doing that, by formalizing, trying to formalize how I'm, what my impulses are, I'm able to get past it because I think I can do more. You know. Um, do you feel like by verbalizing, I'm playing. I don't necessarily agree with this, but you know. But do you feel like by verbalizing your ideas, something gets lost in that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, sometimes you look back and you, maybe this. I, I think this is what you mean. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, all right, like at a time I did something that I liked, let's say. And then I go through the process of trying to figure out why I liked what I liked and verbalizing it by talking to people or me writing it down and trying to formalize it. And then I go back and I do it again and I could be excited like, oh, I hit on some of those elements and I know what I'm doing now. Isn't that powerful thing i think when i'm composing that i know what i'm doing that that's a really good day for me sometimes but then i look back two years later and that whole thing or a year later has gone off the rails like wait i got to this from that but i really liked what i was doing originally the best that's where it was the best and now it's just a a sad imitation of what it was yeah you formalized your way out of the initial feeling right yeah but what else are you going to (laughs) do like for Tr- me, that's trust better yourself. than... Trust yourself. 
you know, I almost feel like that trust is almost in and itself something you become proficient at. And okay, so maybe you'll never be able to formalize it as a concrete idea, put it down on paper, and be able to talk about it in any type of setting with your peers. Mm -hmm. But it's still, that in itself is a vocation that can be improved upon. And I'm wondering if that's also a way for you to like not venture off in a way that you would like logic yourself out of the initial thing that you loved. Mm-hmm. And then you end up in this place where, okay, now I can justify all these things that I'm doing, but it's not as good as it was before for some reason, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, Why not do that with your life, you know, and also do like the go back to the compost pile and... <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you could get interesting places that way. Someone could get interesting places that way. It's harder to sit down and, and get something going and with that approach for me. Even by starting by these false constructs that you have that you've created for yourself you still get crazy places that you never thought you were going to go and if you have like a like a map where you think you're going to go anyway you're never going to get there even if you're trying to redo what you did or take the essence of what you did you're still going to take twists and turns and i'm totally i kind of do that do what i think i'm doing what what i've told people the way that i've i'm writing music I do that until something better comes along. So it's I feel like it's the same thing. I'm still just sitting down and working kind of wildly, but this with this pale impression of how I'm doing what I'm doing, you know? So it, I still am like, okay, now I'm just searching for another character. I have a character that satisfies this category, character that could work here, and now I want another character that works in this category. Okay, and... Um, I hit like a note on a keyboard or however and that could be how I'm doing it like you know I have the keyboard hooked up to the sounds that I want to do and I hit a note on the keyboard and play around with some parameters and it's it doesn't satisfy that I was trying to satisfy that category but it doesn't and then I take that and go with it like like that's fine it's not doing what I was trying to set off to do but then I just get that old uh, like rock and roll feeling comes out in me and I just want to work with the sound and just oh, yeah, this is amazing, and you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just rock out. So I, I never could I get away from that if I wanted to. Okay, that's so, good. That's that's almost what I was... My critique was that you, you would find a way to not do that, where yeah. you'd be like, oh, I'm going to figure out a way to make some juxtaposition, and, okay, let me refer to my book that I wrote over the past five years of how to do yeah, that. yeah. And then, like, you would, you know, you would plug in a formula and then it would give you the quote yeah. answer. Yeah. The working with the, the sequencing software for me is the way that I keep, I keep, I'm not just like, for me, it's, it's too easy to get removed from the sound with just writing but pen on paper and the, because it's a symbolic representation of the sound. And if I get a theory that I think works with the pen on paper, then it's harder for me to um, experience, maybe I just don't hear it uh, clearly as I'm writing or something like that. But, for me, working with the sound directly uh, keeps me from ever. Well, maybe it will someday, and I'll, that'll be sad. But keeps me from getting too involved in the uh, the approach I think I'm taking or the theories behind what I'm doing. I think know? it's a, I think it's a great way of working over over the past two years, three years. That's what I've been doing. Same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, you know, coming up with wild ideas, meeting with ensembles, recording them. Hmm. 
recording those examples and then working just, with those just, in my DAW. Yeah. yeah. Is there a certain type of way that that program works that funnels you in a certain aesthetic direction, either you're aware of or that you're unaware of, that when people hear it, they go, oh, I can tell he's using Logic Pro. Do you have to be, since you're always working with electronics, do you have to be super careful of the trappings of an electronic sound or the trappings of an electronic digital audio workstation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, it happens. I use the a synthesizer in there quite frequently, but it's like a physical modeling synthesizer, so it's some kind of synthesizer. And it has a certain sound to it. And I can hear it when other people use it in their pieces, and they can hear it when I use it in my pieces. Don't you hate that? Uh, originally, I didn't necessarily know it when I was starting to work with it. And then when I listened back and I heard, I was like, oh, it's so obvious. Everybody knew when I was doing this that it was what it was, and they were annoyed by it because they knew what it was. For some reason, that's annoying. So that was there, and then I, I tried to do things to, to cover that up, and nowadays I try to cover it up and change it. Or sometimes I want to go the other direction and be like, I don't know if this will work, but I sometimes in recent pieces I try to try to make it like really obvious, like use the most obvious sounds. Do you know the the singer songwriter Des- Destroyer? I don't know if you know. If you, uh, I can't remember his name. I now. think I I think I might have heard something, but the short answer is no. He has this MIDI album where he just uses all like general MIDI kinds of sounds. They're just the most obvious, cliched, mini kind of sounds. And I thought that was a wonderful way of dealing with that. This the same issue is like own it, you know, like that's what it is. And you can either there's two approaches. You could try to change it and cover it up or use different things or own it. And that's a hard that's another one to do, which I think is a fun way to. Yeah, but the thing, thing is explore. also if you're owning it, then like your identity is owning it. Well, for that for that album, his was, yeah. you know, he did it for one album and then he was done with it. Oh, but then you're back into your question. So yeah. I guess I'm not answering your question because mm-hmm. then you're back. Then what do you do after that? Do yes. You, you can't just keep owning it. Or you can, but then that's, yeah, you're right. You're like a one-trick pony, and that's not necessarily And it's not even fun. your trick. It's somebody else's. It, it's, you know, it's some, it's some you know, pre- computer programmer's trick. Some 1980s computer programmer. Yeah, exactly. Hair and stuff. Yeah. So, so how do you avoid that trap? So I just... Try to not make it obvious what I'm using if I want to avoid that trap, if I want to avoid the sound. Like, so just listening to a lot, trying to keep up on like the newest sounds that are coming out, the newest synthesizers, and trying to become really familiar with what they sound like and trying to do like EQ them differently. So that's a, that's a big thing of how these, how the, how these things are recognized sonically is they have a certain timbral profile that's always there and ever present. So EQing them differently helps out. Actually, probably the the biggest trick I have for doing that is uh, layering a lot of sounds. So instead of, say, I was using that software um, synthesizer called Sculpture that I just talked about, um, instead of just using that one, I'd use that one put together with a sample of pizzicato string maybe and then so like the pizzicato string starts that sound and then the sculpture could be the middle of the sound and then the tail of the sound could be like the resonance from a piano or something like that so mixing and matching i really actually in all of my pieces i i try to use like every software i can get my hands on i don't necessarily try to but that's just how it goes like i know this software is capable of doing this particular manipulation and that's the sound that i want here 
and I have all that software right on my computer so I can use all of it really quickly. And it's, they're all like part of the same instrument. So hopefully what helps me out of that trap, I guess I don't know if it does because sometimes that's for someone else to say, but if I, I try to work on that issue and something that helps me is by using just everything and putting it all together and um, layering sounds to, to help. To it's interesting. You said, hopefully that's for somebody else to say. Did I say hopefully? Well, or, or I'm, an, I'm sorry. The, 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 key, yeah. the, key, the key word is uh, that's for somebody else to say. But do, oh. do you think that the culture, do I call it a culture? Do, do you think that feeling like you have to constantly cover your tracks for something like that, where people are like, oh, he's using this program, he's using this program, like that type of either owning it or doing whatever you can to uh, hide what you're using. Do you think that that is because we're just constantly writing for peers? Like, let, let's say no one sitting in the audience ever heard of Logic Pro, and you write this completely stereotypical piece that sounds just like Logic Pro. Mm-hmm. Nobody in that audience is going to think you're derivative. Nobody in that audience is going to be able to look at it in a cynical way of, mm-hmm. oh, he just did this, he just did this, he's making the simple things. Do, yeah. you, do you understand what I mean? Like That's always something that's very... It's like you're constantly having it picked apart by peers and depending on the expertise of the peers who are looking at it, they're going to pick it apart in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And... I, you know, I always I always think about this when I heard a piece at Darmstadt. It, it would sounded just like Bayat Fur, like it was the Bayat Fur handbook. Piece. Yeah, yeah, oh. tribute piece. But to the, to the point where anybody who knew anything about like whatever scene that includes him was like, ugh, oh my god, he ripped something off. Yeah, yeah, sure. But you you take that same piece. It's not like it was a low quality piece and he didn't know what he was doing and like it was. It was really well executed. It was well performed. And in a certain sense, it was well written. It was just painfully derivative. Mm-hmm. If you take that piece, you give it to another audience, they might be amazed by it. And that doesn't make their experience valid or like not valid, depending on if it was derivative from a certain thing or not. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why we aren't concerned about that is because we know it's going to be always heard by a peer who's going to take it apart and say it's derivative. Yeah, yeah. that always happens. I guess I don't... Your parents I, I aren't going to be you... like, oh, super collider, duh, Brian, you stink. God, you know? <laughs> that was like my first patch in super collider. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's something I try to avoid. Do you think it's possible to write a piece that no one's ever going to do that with, I guess? Uh, to be like, oh, that's the derivative of that unit. Well, it's somebody will find it. it as being a derivative of something somewhere, right? Yeah. Um, every piece. Is that is that true or not? I'm not sure. The other thing is I just heard um, Wedding did a performance of BFR piece, uh, the Stil. Do you know that piece? Yeah, Stil? I know that piece, yeah. That's one of, I guess, his more famous ones. But I think of that piece, similar to what Ligeti was doing, I think of it as a under the a great a ripoff mesh mesh up pieces of that for me are like summarized like the best parts of 20th century music all my favorite parts of 20th century music yeah this be a fair piece it is kind of that thing that is i think a lot 
most of that piece is kind of derivative of all these other little things, but it's chewed up in an interesting way. I guess that's the but, and that's what that's what we're not talking about. I guess if yeah, there's if yeah. there's a but in that situation, then it's not the same, right? It's possible in our super critical group that we have here that it, everyone's always going to think whatever you do is some derivative of something else. Yeah, but then there's also kind of a certain amount of like acceptance that can be okay. I know. Everybody, whatever I do, people are going to parse it and try and relate it to something else. So maybe I can just find my unique angle on it. And then that will be my unique stamp is my angle on a thing that already exists. My angle on Super Collider. I, I think I'm in that. I think I'm in that category. I thought earlier you were thinking that I was saying that I was in the category that I was trying to... Oh, I guess I'm still covering my tracks. Yeah, yeah exactly. But I'm still in the... I feel like I'm just taking what I hear that other people are doing and trying to chew it up and trying to do it in a different way. But then sometimes you don't even know if you're ripping people off because you're like, oh, yes, this is awesome. And and then all of a sudden you hear that it, somebody else has done exactly what you tried to do in that piece. I guess I don't get too hung up with that idea. Yeah, I had this um, someone come into a composition seminar once and tell us how they write music. And they said that if he was stuck in a composition he would go and listen to the thing that was least like what he was doing. So if he's trying to write some real noisy-ass thing, then he was, went and listened to some Mozart or something like that, and that gave him inspiration or cleared his mind or something. I don't know exactly what it did for him. I bet you that's, that's also not really... like If he was really trying to do that, then if he was writing something that was really noisy, he would listen to some thing that would be completely out of his taste and trashy, or he listens to like some Britney Spears or something. But it still has to be like within the realm of class for him. Yeah. So it's got to be Mozart, you know. <laughs> like it wasn't like Sean John or like you yeah, know, like some bullshit, you know, dubstep thing. You know? Yeah, which would be more opposite. So he should be listening to that. Yeah, He's yeah, not, uh, of course. yeah. I, I love that little fake world of class that he exists. Oh, this is the opposite of like the world I'm willing to accept. I listen to some Mozart, please put on Z100. You know. Uh, um, but then I. I don't know. I always find I try to listen to the thing that's like most like what I'm trying to do sometimes and just like take that idea that the other person was working with and start from there and go with that. And hopefully, I mean, it goes somewhere different always, but really just start with other people's ideas sometimes. That works for you. just take that. Yeah, that helps me out. The risk of totally ripping somebody off doesn't freak you out once you're like, okay, I'm starting with this piece. Should it? I don't know. I mean, I can say it would be. Oh, really? I did. I did not mean to blow your mind. I'm not going to leave my house for like three years now. I'm just going to be like shaking with my pencil in my hand. I come back to this apartment, and it's literally like the cats. There's like 80 cats now. Just your beard is like five times as long. I'm like, I should not have said that to him. Wow. Like, I can't. Just earplugs in. You've gouged your eyes out. No, I'm just re-listening to this interview like again and again. Yeah. Just that snippet of it. Oh, man. Should I? Should I? Should I? Should I? Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, Well, we've been talking for a while, but this has been fun. Uh, Thank you for doing this. Thanks for, yeah, doing this. No, that's what I just said. (laughs) You're just supposed to say, like, thank you or something. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. No, no, you're supposed to say you're welcome. Oh, um, you're welcome, Dan. All right. I accept you. You're welcome. 